to be able to be here this morning. I am so thankful for Pastor and Mrs. Lynn. They are such a gracious uh, family. And what a wonderful, faithful servant to be here for, is it 13 years? 12 years and, and serving God and doing what God, you know, preachers come and go. Preachers come. We've had this happen in Las Vegas. People will come. Pastors will say, I'm going to start a church. They're there for two years and they take off. Uh, they, they're there for two. Another person comes in. They're there for two or three years and they take off. When the going get tough, they run. Uh, they get going, but not in the right way. The fact of the matter is your pastor is a tremendous, tremendous servant of God, has been faithful, and I'm so thankful for him and for his wife. What a tremendous servant she is. I mean, she just goes and goes and goes. And uh, I am so thankful for her, thankful for this ministry, and thankful for the privilege of being able to be here. Hey, there is nothing there is nothing greater, no greater activity that anybody can be involved in than reaching someone with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is, that is why we are here. Our theme verse for the conference this weekend has been 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, where the Bible says this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself. Oftentimes we quote 2 Corinthians 5.17 and we recognize the fact that when we get saved, God makes us new creatures. We're brand new. We are his. We are different than we, what we were before. And that's a wonderful truth. The Bible tells us we're all sinners because we're sinners. We all deserve to go to hell, to be separated from God forever. But the Bible tells us that God loves us so much. He didn't want us to go to hell. So the Bible says that God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. He came to this earth. He suffered and died and paid the penalty of your sin and my sin. He was able to do that. He's an eternal being. He died at one time in space and time for all men everywhere. Since he was God, he could be in the past, the present, and the future all at the same time. Since he was God, he could be everywhere in the world all at the same time. So as God, as the God-man, he could die at one time in space and time for everyone everyone in the entire world. He died for your sins. He died for my sins. He was buried. Three days later, he rose from the dead. He was seen by hundreds of eyewitnesses, and that's why we know this is not a myth. He, he, uh, he was seen by hundreds of eyewitnesses who wrote the New Testament knowing they would die for what they wrote. See, people don't die for something they know is a lie. He, he died he died, he was buried, he rose from the dead. These were eyewitness accounts, and they were willing to die for what they saw because they saw the resurrected Christ. Jesus didn't end there, he went to heaven. And now the Bible says this, if I will just come to Jesus and admit that I'm a sinner, admit that I deserve to go to hell, and say, Jesus, I need you to give me eternal life. I recognize that I deserve to go to hell, but I want you to give me eternal life. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I can know for sure I'm going to heaven. I don't have to hope so and think so and maybe so. I can know I'm going to heaven by asking Jesus to give me eternal life, and he'll do that. And if you've never done that before, I would encourage you to do that today. Now the Bible says when I do that, what happens is I become spiritually alive. See, when I was born the first time, I was born with a body and a soul, but my spirit was dead. I was separated from God, unable to communicate to God. But the Bible tells me this, when I call on Jesus, his Holy Spirit is sent 
sent to my body and his Holy Spirit quickens my dead, my dead spirit and I become alive. I am now born again. First time I was born with a body and a soul. Now I am born spiritually. I'm alive in Christ and I am his. I'm alive in him. I have life. I have eternal life dwelling in me. And the Bible tells us, Jesus says in John chapter 16, that not only does the Holy Spirit come, when the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit brings God the Father and God the Son. And so he dwells in us. And we are here. We are here. We are made new creatures in Christ. And that's what that verse is all about. But then in verse 20, it says, now then we are ambassadors of Christ. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. The reason he saved us and the reason he leaves us on this planet is so that we can bring other people to him. So we can show to the world what Jesus Christ is all about. And that's why we live. That's what our whole purpose in life is all about. That's why we pray for missionaries. That's why we give to missionaries. That's why we're involved in missions ourselves. That's why we go out and tell other people about Jesus Christ. Nothing more thrilling than telling somebody how to get saved and watching them get saved. I was it was a Monday. My wife and I have for years taken off Monday. It was Monday morning, uh, uh, and I said to Anna, I said, listen, let's go to your favorite restaurant. Let's go to Olive Garden and have, uh, have a, a nice Olive Garden uh, lunch today. Lunch because lunch is cheaper than dinner. And so uh, she said, okay, let's do that. And so we got, we got up and uh, uh, we got ready, had some time in the morning. About 1 o'clock in the afternoon, we went over to an Olive Garden that is not far from our uh, from our church. We, we went in, sat down, and Will, the waiter, came uh, to ask us uh, what we, uh, how he could help us and ask us if we'd like something to drink while we were deciding what we wanted to eat. And uh, we told him we just want water because I'm cheap. And, and so uh, they brought water for Anna and they brought water for us, uh, for water for me. And when he brought the water back, I said, hey, Will, can I give you something really good? He said, what's that? I reached in my pocket and I, I pulled out a gospel track. And I said, here, I said, uh, this will tell you how you can know you're going to heaven. And he looked at it and it says on the front, you can know you're going to heaven. He said, he said, I can't believe this. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you're never going to believe this. I said, what? He said, he said, yesterday morning, that was Sunday. He said, I, I, I woke up and he said, I got to thinking, I'm not going to heaven. I don't know how to get to heaven. Nobody's ever told me how I could know for sure I was going to heaven. And he said, I, I said to God, God, I want to know I'm going to heaven. And he said, I guess I thought, well, the best place to find out how you can know you're going to heaven is by going to church. So he said, I got up and he said, I just went to the closest church that was, what, what was near me. And he said, I went inside. And he said, they were all singing and I sang with them. And he said the words that, and he said, after I, after I sang with them, he said, after that was done, he said, I went to, uh, he said, they, they, they started, the, the preacher got up and preached. And he said, I don't really remember what he preached. I was just thinking, I hope somebody will tell me how I can know I'm going to heaven. He said, afterwards, they had, they, the people started singing a song and people started coming down to the front of the church. And he said, so I thought that's what you're supposed to do. So I came down and I, I knelt there in prayer. He said, people put their hands on me and they prayed for me. And they got up and he said, I left. He said, I still didn't know I was going to heaven. He said, I went home and I said, God, I went to church today, but I still don't know how I'm going to heaven. He said, I caught up this morning and went, came to work and I thought, I really want to know how I'm going to heaven. And he said, you handed me this. He said, do you think that's of God? I said, no, it has nothing to do with I said, man, yeah. 
I said, obviously. I said, I said, Will, you know, the Bible says, I said, can I just tell you what that says? He said, yeah. I said, the Bible says we're all sinners. And because we're sinners, we don't deserve to go to heaven. And I explained to him that Jesus died for him and was buried and rose from the dead for him. And if you just call on Jesus, you can know you're going to heaven. And I, I can lead you in a prayer and you can trust Christ right now. Would you like to do that? And this is what Will did. Will went, yes, let's pray right now. I said, this is Olive Garden. Get up, you're embarrassed. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> Will bowed his head and trusted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior right there in Olive Garden. I'm telling you, listen, people are out there everywhere. They want to know about Jesus. With all the craziness that's going on in the world, people are looking for something stable. And I want you to understand, Jesus is the only stability there is. Can you say amen to that? We need to understand that God wants us to reach the world. God, there are people everywhere. And listen, Jesus said this. Jesus said, you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, that's almost an impossible command. How in the world am I supposed to be a a witness both in Jerusalem and Judea? My Jerusalem is Las Vegas, Nevada. How am I supposed to be a witness in Jerusalem and at the same time be a witness in Fernley and at the same time be a witness in in, Jerusalem? Utah, and the same way, same place, same way, be a witness at the same time, be a witness in 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 Washington D.C. and and then around the world. How am I supposed to do that? Well, I can only do that one way, and that's by preaching where I am, reaching who I can, and sending others where I cannot go. And that's what God wants us to do. That's what God. That's why God established the local church. God established the local church so we would reach our community and then send others out to reach others in other communities around the world. And listen, when you got saved, this is so neat. When you got saved, you got born again. You got born again into a family, the family of God. You got born again into the family of God. Uh, you didn't get born into a fa- into a church. You got born into the family of God. That's what happens. You get born into families, not into institutions. God had an institution that he wants every one of his family members to be part of, and that institution is the local church. So when you got born into the family of God, you became part of a huge family that, that is all around the world. You're part of this huge, huge family. You have brothers and sisters everywhere. Now, they don't all agree with everything we do and everything we say. We have some strange family members. Can you say amen to that? You might be one of those strange family members. The the fact of the matter is you're part of this family. People ask me, do you believe in invaders from outer space? I say, yes, I do. We are it. We are the invaders. We are here on this planet. The great thing is to know is this. uh, There are about 87 million Christians in America that that if you just subtract and subtract and subtract, you get down to the the bottom line. There are about about, about 27% of Americans who claim that they believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to get to heaven. That you have to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that is true Christianity. There's about 65% of the country who claims to be Christians, but there's only about 27% of those people who are really Bible-believing Christians. But you say, well, that's not much. Oh yeah, that's 87 million people. Can you imagine this? Listen, if all of us 
got involved in reaching just one other person with the gospel of Jesus Christ? You think about the fact that 87 million, if 87 million people would say, hey, this year, I'm just going to lead one person to Jesus Christ. I'm just going to get involved in reaching one person with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Could you imagine what 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 would happen? Just just double that. You're looking at 8 to 16, about 170 million people trusting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and God. That's exciting. That's what we live for. If we would just get busy doing what God wants us to do, being the missionaries where God wants us to be, if those in this room would just say, this year I am going to be involved in passing out a gospel tract. By the way, do you realize that every God-ordained man's shirt God ordained it that men's shirts should have a track rack uh, on them. We have track racks. This is not for all the junk you want. By the way, you ladies have a track pack. Uh, it's called a purse. You have a track pack. The track pack, is, is you carry it, so when your husband's track rack runs out, you can reach into your track pack and fill his track rack, and then he can be the witness God wants him to be. That's where God wants us to think in terms of the fact that lost people need to get saved and that you and I are here to tell them about Jesus Christ. We're to do that in Fernley. I'm supposed to do that in Las Vegas, but I'm not supposed to just do it in Las Vegas. I'm supposed to do it around the world. We need to be involved in missions. How do we get involved? We get involved in a couple of ways. Number one, we get involved in praying for missionaries. We pray for lost people to get saved. We pray for for those that are going out, and we pray that God would send forth laborers into the harvest field. God wants us to pray. You should be praying every day that God will send forth laborers. You should be praying for lost people to get saved. In in 1 Timothy chapter 2, the Bible says, the Bible tells us that we're to pray for kings and for all that are in authority, and he tells us what we're to pray for. We're to pray for all men everywhere that they might get saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Excuse me, that was a great breakfast. Uh, We're to pray that lost people would get saved, that people would come to a knowledge of the truth. We're to pray for kings and leaders. We're not told to criticize our leaders. We're not supposed to condemn our leaders. We're not supposed to pray that God will kill our leaders. We're supposed to pray that God would save our leaders. That's what we're supposed to do. Are you praying? I want to ask you a question. Are you praying for lost people to get saved? Are you praying for the leaders of this nation to get saved? Are you praying that people uh, in Fernley would get saved? Are you praying for the mayor of Fernley? Are you praying for the governor of the state of Nevada? We, he needs salvation. You need to pray for him. We need to pray for, for our, our state leaders, our city leaders, our county leaders, our 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 national leaders, we need to pray for their salvation. God tells us to pray for them that they would get saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. We need to pray for missionaries. We need to pray for lost people around the world. And as you pray for people, your heart will get burdened for people. And you know what else will happen? God will give you opportunities to give the gospel to people. And people will get saved through you giving a testimony. Number one, we need to pray for people. But not only that, we need to give so that others can go and be involved. Why do you give to missions? People will ask me that. Uh, there's, 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 there's so much to say. And I only have a few minutes to say this. But I, I listen, when I, was, when I was 16 and a half years old, I committed my life to the Lord. Then somebody invited me to an independent Baptist church where I was introduced to faith promise missions. I had never heard of faith promise missions. The preacher got up and he said, this is what I want you to do. 
He said, what, what I want you to do, and I'm sitting on the back row, probably the second, second or third from the row, back row. I'm sitting there. I'm just a teenager. I'm coming to this independent Baptist church. I don't know hardly anyone, but I really wanted to grow in Christ. Brother Lynn, I really wanted to do what God wanted me to do. And so when I was, and let me explain to you a little bit of my background. My dad died when I was 10 years old. For a few more years, we lived on our house, but my mom, my mom did not have, uh, only had a high school education. She had no way of maintaining what my dad had made, and so she lost the house. We moved into a trailer park in northeast uh, Las Vegas, and, and that's where I, 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 was, I was until I was 14, 15, and 16 years old. God then saved me, and I, and I, and I wanted to do, I wanted to be what God wanted me to be, but we had nothing. I had no money to go to college. I had no money for a car. I, I was taught by my dad to work hard, and so we worked hard. But man, I, I, finally I got a job. I got a job uh, when I was a teenager. I worked as a busboy at the Sahara Hotel in Las Vegas. And then, then after that, I became a, a bike boy, a bike boy for Montgomery Wards. That was, a, that was like Walmart back then. And, uh, and Montgomery Wards had this bike shop, and I was the guy that was in control of the bike shop. And during Christmas time, I had people that actually worked for me. Uh, and, uh, and we built bikes. All we did all day long was build bikes, build bikes, build bikes, build, build bikes. Well, I, I, that's what I was doing at the time that I committed my life to the Lord. And, when I, and, um, and then I felt like God wanted me to go to Bible college and study for the ministry. And so that's what I was going to do. So then I get in this Faith Promise Conference, and they're talking about uh, filling out Faith Promise cards and, and, and asking God, what do you want me to have? Well, I'm thinking, well, I'm, this is, I'm just a poor kid. I'm going to college. i got to try and save some money I'm gonna, uh, and get to college. I don't know how... You know, how am I going to be involved in this? And the preacher said this. He said, listen, you don't pray about what you can afford. The preacher said, you pray and say, God, what do you want me to give? And you put on my heart or my mind what an amount of money. And then you just ask God, God, whatever you want me to give, you put that amount on my, on my mind and I'll give it. And I thought, well, I can do that. And so I did. And when I bowed my head and I prayed, I said, Lord, uh, the, the preacher up there said to pray and just ask you to put an amount of money on my heart about what you want me to give to missions, and then I'll give it. And so just, God, I'm asking you to put an amount on my heart. And when I prayed that, immediately an amount came to my mind. And I thought, whoa, that's a big amount. And I actually thought, God, maybe I got the wrong message. Maybe there's somebody else named David around here. But, uh, and I looked around, and there wasn't anybody. It was just me. I thought, God, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to save money for college. I honestly had this conversation, not out loud, and there was no voices, and I'm not Pentecostal, I am Baptist. Uh, but I, I'm talking, I'm, I'm saying, God, I, I, don't know, I don't know anything about this. But and then I remembered the preacher said, don't pray for what you can afford. You pray about, uh, uh, just ask God what he wants you to give. Man, that amount, I think, it's been a long time, but I think it equated to about half of my salary. And I thought, okay, God, if that's what you want me to give, 
that's what I'm going to give. And I'm going to put it down, and I'm sort of waiting for God to intervene. You know, like when God, when God told Abraham to kill his son, and he went there with the knife, he, the angel came. I'm waiting for the angel uh, to take and say, no, don't put that down. I was just pretending, you know. Uh, I just wanted to see if you were faithful. But he didn't. He let me write that amount on the card. And I put the card in the offering place. I really loved the fact that there was no place for my name. This was just a commitment between me and God. And I put that on the card, and I said, okay, God, I'm going to do that. And that's when I was introduced to Faith Promised Missions. Now, I want you to know you're looking at somebody who started when he was 16 and a half years old giving to Faith Promised Missions. I've been doing it now uh, till now. How old am I now? I'm 65 years old. So almost, almost 50 years, I've been giving to Faith Promise Missions. Let me tell you something. A poor kid with no father, a mom who worked minimum wage jobs, I have traveled around the world. God has given me the opportunity. There are more opportunities for me to see places and be places that I don't have to pay for. God has done such miraculous things in my life because I got involved in giving to God. I went through Bible college. My friends, when they graduated Bible college, were all trying to figure out how they were going to pay for their bill. When I graduated from Bible college, I want you to understand this. When I graduated from Bible college, I graduated, my wife and I both graduated owing nothing. We went to Las Vegas, Nevada, 70, or, uh, back in 1977. I almost said 77 years ago. <laughs> and back in 1977, my wife and I were 22 years old, went to Las Vegas, Nevada. We had no promise of support from anybody. I didn't know about raising deputation. I didn't know about going out and raising money and getting people to support you. In fact, even if I knew about it, nobody knew who I was and nobody would have supported me. We were going back to Las Vegas, Nevada. And to tell people, I even looked at Jerry Falwell and said to Jerry Falwell, we're going to Las Vegas. He said, Las Vegas, Nevada? And he said, said, well, there's already one church out there. I said, but there are 400,000 people in Las Vegas. That, that was back then. Now there's 2 million people in Las Vegas. I said, I, he said, well, if you're sure that's where you want to go, uh, then, then I'm all for you. And he prayed for me. But there was doubt in and the idea of this 22-year-old kid going back to Las Vegas. We went back to Las Vegas, Nevada. These are people, I want you to understand, my wife and I, we got married. I, when my wife and I uh, when, uh, when, as we were dating, I was working in a church in North Carolina. So I would drive from Lynchburg, Virginia to North Carolina on the weekends and I would help, I helped plant a church out there. That church started and it became the fastest growing church in the state of North Carolina for the two years that I was there. Our youth department was running over a hundred kids and we, we, it was just exploding. Great things were going on in North Carolina. And then in March of that year, I understand I'm graduating in May of that year, and I'm getting married in May of that year. In March of that year, God began to burden my heart again about going out to Las Vegas, Nevada. And I said, Lord, I'm getting married. Lord, I'm going to to go to Las Vegas. I'm getting married. He said, yeah, I want you to go to Las Vegas. I knew that that's what God wanted me to do. And I said, okay, God, I believe that you use authorities in, in life to confirm that that's what you want us to do. So you confirm in my heart. I have an authority, I have, Anna and I aren't married yet, so she's still under her parental authority, confirmed this through my 
through through my wife's mom. Let her tell me she's in she's in Pennsylvania. Uh, I let her tell me that that she that we need to go to Las Vegas. Then my mother is still my authority because I'm not married yet. And so so let me know through my mom that you want me to go. And then my pastor is my authority, and I'm invaluable to him. I mean, I can't know don't know where he's going to find another youth director as good as me. And so uh, so let me know through my pastor. You let let them all three tell me that I'm supposed to go to Las Vegas and I'll go to Las Vegas. Within a week, my mother called me up and said, David, I really believe God wants you to come back to Las Vegas. I said, okay, well, that's my mom. I'm, she's in Las Vegas. Of course, she wants me in Las Vegas because I'm a dear child. And so, uh, so that, that's my mom. Then Anna's mother called her out of the blue and said, listen, honey, I just want you to know that I really believe that God is going to lead you to Las Vegas and that you're going to wind up going to Las Vegas. And she said, I want to be a help in any way that I can. I thought, man, okay, well, that's mom, but my pastor. That Saturday, I walked into my pastor's office. I, 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 and I, I went in there with six months of plans for what I was going to do in our youth department over the next six months. I had put it together. We had a college group. We had a high school group. We had a junior high group. I had all the plans, all the activities scheduled out. I I walked in and I said to him, I said, Pastor, I said, I want to talk to you about the activities that we've we've got planned for the next uh, six months. He said, Brother Dave, he said, I, I appreciate that. But he said, I got to tell you something I've been really burdened about over the last uh, few weeks. I said, what's that? He said, well, just have a seat. Let me tell you what I'm thinking. He said, I don't believe that you're, that, that you're ever going to be content until you go to Nevada. Nevada. <laughs> he said, unless you go to Nevada and start a church. And I thought, and you know, when you'd think, man, I'm getting the ax here. You'd think that would burden me. All of a sudden, it was like a burden was lifted off me. And I told him, you know, I told God that if he wanted me to go to Las Vegas, that he would let me know through you. And he said, and and we began to talk. And I'm telling you, God opened doors, door after door after door. We did not have the money to get a U-Haul. God gave us a U-Haul trailer. We didn't have the money to get across country. God got us all the way across country. When we got to Las Vegas, Nevada, we had $500 in our bank account. We had we had uh, a lady, uh, I, I prayed one night. Uh, I, in fact, about, about a month after that, I realized, hey, I'm getting married. I'm going to Las Vegas, Nevada to start a church. Nobody knows. I have, I have, I have no place to live. I have no place to meet. We have nothing. And I said, God, I need your provision. I need to know. And one night I got down on my knees and I laid over the bed and I said, God, I'm getting married. Did I make a stupid mistake? I need either a place to live or a place to meet. God, I need a place to live or a place to meet. God, I just need that. And I, I, I was on my knees over my bed for three hours. It was one of those things where you're like in and out of consciousness and you're praying and you're, you're, you wake up and you're drooling and then uh, you wipe off the drool and you keep saying, I kept saying, just God, I need a place to live. I need a place to meet. God, you're going to have to provide you a place to meet or a place to live. I, I started praying at nine o'clock at night. At midnight, my phone rang. 
at midnight, and I thought, who's calling me at midnight? So I went to my phone, I picked up my phone, and I said, I said, hello? And a voice on the other side said, hey, Dave, this is Al Whalen. He was a guy from Las Vegas. He was a trustee in a church called Gateway Baptist Church. He said, I, I said, oh, why are you calling me at midnight? He said, oh, I forgot about the time change. He said, I just had to tell you what we've been doing for the last three hours. I said, what? He said, we just, I just came from a trustees meeting in our church. I said, really? He, I said, what was the trustees meeting about? He said, that's what's exciting. It was all about you. I said, about me? He said, yeah. He said, we know you're coming to Las Vegas to start a church. I said, you do? He said, yeah. I didn't tell him, except four years before I said, I'm going to go out to Las, I'm going to go to learn how to pastor a church, and I'm going to come back here and start a church. That was four years before. I figured everybody had forgotten about me by then. I forget about everything. And so, so he said, yeah. He said, he said we, for the last three hours, we've been debating about whether to rent you a place to meet or a place to, or a place to stay. And we, after three hours of debating about it, we decided we were going to just leave it up to you. And I thought, man, I hung up the phone, 2,300 miles away, time different, three-hour time different change, and God is telling somebody, hey, there's a dumb kid, a poor kid, that's down and praying and saying, God, I need either a place to live or a place to stay. I wish I would have prayed, God, give me a place to live and a place to stay. You know, according to your faith, it's done unto you. But but I, I want you to know, so so God provided us a place to meet through that. Uh, I... I, I we got out to Las Vegas, and and when we got to Las Vegas, we um, we we needed a place to meet or to, a place to live because they were going to rent us a place to meet. And and a lady that lived in my mother's trailer park was going to be gone for three months, and she's and it was a hundred dollars a, tra- a month for trailer space. And she said she said what, she walked up to my mother out of the blue and said, Hey, do you know anybody that might be coming into Las Vegas that would need a place to stay? They could just rent my trailer for a hundred dollars a month and take pay pay my trailer space. And my my mom said, I think I know somebody, and we got that. That took three hundred of our five hundred dollars that we were living on. We had five hundred dollars. I'm not talking five hundred dollars a month. I'm talking we had a total of five hundred dollars. We took the rest of that two hundred dollars and we we made up some really shoddy looking brochures um, and uh, that just announced Liberty Baptist Church was going and my wife and I started knocking on doors we knocked on a hundred doors a day my wife had never been to the desert ever she had never she didn't know what the desert was like she asked me one time she said David what's it like in the desert I said honey go to your 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 uh, kitchen oven and turn it up to 350 degrees and wait until wait till it totally and completely preheats Open it up and stick your head inside. That's Las Vegas in the summer. And she said, oh, you're so silly. What are you? What is it really like? And she found out. We arrived in Las Vegas. We arrived in Las Vegas on July 10th. It was 10 o'clock at night. And, it, uh, and she saw on one of those bank signs, it said 110 degrees. And she said, welcome to my home. You know. So anyway, we, uh, we, we, we had prayed. We, we, had, we had that. We took those 200... We took that $200, we made flyers. When we opened up our church the first Sunday, we had um, we had 68 people show up for the first Sunday. Now that's me calling every friend I knew, everybody I knew, inviting relatives, uh, bribing, you know, I, my sixth grade teacher came. Uh, 
all of the, all, everybody, uh, we had 68 people, and uh, we, st- we saw two people trust Christ as Savior. The second week, we had 48 people. The third week, we had 42 people. The third week, we had 32 people, or uh, 34 people. And, uh, and, but yet, God supplied our needs. I stood in front of the church the first su- Sunday, and people said, and, and I said, people ask, why do you take an offering in church? I said, I want you to know the reason I'm taking an offering today is because my wife and I only have $14 in our bank account. And if we don't take an offering this week, then my wife and I aren't going to eat. And that's how we started Liberty Baptist Church. And I want you to know, for 44 years, God has blessed us immensely. I'm telling you this story because I'm telling you, I believe it all began by faith promise giving. We we have seen God give and give and give and give and we've we've we are we give to faith promise every year and god when god puts something on our heart we just give it believing that god will supply our needs i've i've it's been amazing how god has provided for me when i was in bible college brother rick when i was in bible college i saw a missionary that was that had a need and the preacher a preacher named Chuck Milhup, who was a Nazarene preacher preaching at a Baptist college, came in and he preached a message from Luke 6.38. Luke 6.38 says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will God give into your bosom. And he, and he explained that a bo- the bosom meant that there was a bosom bag in every, in every robe, and that when you went shopping at the, at the grain market, you would take and you'd put grain in your, in your bosom bag, and that, that, that was like your grocery cart, and you would take it home. He said, he, said that, uh, he said that what Jesus was saying is God will fill up your bosom bag to overflowing, that you'll have more than you need. Given it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Man, I thought, God, I need you to bless me. I want you to bless me. I, I, and he said this, he said, whatever you sow, you reap. If you sow money, you'll reap money. If you sow love, you'll reap love. If you sow gratitude, you'll get gratitude. You need to, whatever you sow is what you're going to reap. And so he said there were three principles. He said, number one, you got to remember that God is your source, not man. He said, you've got to give to get, or you've got to plant to grow. And then you need to expect a miracle from God. I thought, man, that sounds good. I'm going to do that. I thought, God, I don't have anything to give because I'm a poor freshman in Bible college. I don't have anything to give. Actually, I was a sophomore at that time. Uh, in Bible college, I don't have anything to give. And then God impressed me with this truth that I had a car and that there was a missionary There was a missionary kid that needed a car. I was a single guy. My brother had given me this 1961 Buick Special. It was really sort of cool. Uh, it, it needed to get painted, but, but it had one of those little small steering wheels that are illegal. Um, um, and and it, was, it was just a cool car. It was my car, whether anybody else liked it or not. But God impressed me with the fact that there was a missionary, uh, a guy that was studying missions, and he had a family, and his car blew up. His car, he had no way to get his family around. He had to walk to school. And I, I saw him sitting uh, with a need one day, and I thought, God, what can I do? And, and God said, listen, that guy said, forgiven, it shall be given unto you. You may not have much, but you have more than that guy has. That guy needs a, your car in order to get his family around. I thought, man. And I told God, my brother might get mad. I'm giving away the car that he gave to me. And uh, 
that wasn't a good enough excuse. And, and I thought, I looked at him and I thought, okay. I walked up to him and I said, listen, God impressed me to do something. And he said, what? I said, you, your car just blew up. Yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do. I said, here, here's the keys to a car. And here's the title. I signed the title over to him. I gave it to him. And I said, I, I'm giving that to you. And then I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I'm trusting you. That preacher said, give and it shall be given unto me, me, given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together. He said this, he said, whatever you sow, you reap. I need a vehicle. I need a car. I need something to get around with. I was supposed to go to Tennessee and I was supposed to preach with a bunch of guys and they were supposed to ride with me to Tennessee and I was supposed to preach in that car. I didn't go to Tennessee in a car. God opened the door for, or actually uh, God had a guy come up to me out, out, at, at the last minute and I don't have time to tell the story and say, when I was supposed to go to Tennessee, say to me, hey, would you be willing? I know this is a lot to ask. Uh, we were standing in a, in a parking lot and, and there was no one around. And I'm thinking, how am I going to get my team to, 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 uh, to, to Tennessee? I don't even know how to get there. I don't have a vehicle. A guy walked up and said, would you do me a favor? He said, I know this is a lot to ask, but would you be willing to take my car to Tennessee? I said, let me pray about it. Yes. And, uh, and we got in the car. We drove that car to Tennessee. I want you to know that over the last 44 years of ministry, God has provided me one car after another car after another car. I'm driving down the road one day. My mother's car had, was blown up. She had a 1964 Malibu Super Sport, but it was, it, isn't that a great car? Uh, and, uh, but it was, the, the engine was shot. And so uh, I, she needed, my mom just needed a car to drive around. And I said, God, I need a car. And I'm driving down the road and I saw, I saw on the side of the road, this is about 1983, I saw on the side of the road a 1979 Buick LeSabre. I was driving a Buick LeSabre at the time. I looked at that car and I thought, boy, that'd be a good car for my mom. It would get her around and it'd last her until she goes to heaven. But I said, God, I, uh, I, I need to see, I, I don't know how much that car is going to cost. So I looked at it and there was a sign that said $1,900 they'd sell the car for. So I, I, went, I went back to my office, I got the name, and I called up this guy. I said, I said to the guy, um, look, um, would you, uh, I said, I said, I saw your car for sale, uh, uh, $1,900. I said, is that price negotiable? He said, well, really, no. I said, okay. He said, uh, I said, then I'd like to, I'd like to at least test drive it. He said, I can bring it to your house. I said, okay, well, would you bring it to my office? He said, well, yeah, I can bring it to your office. I said, okay. Uh, I, I, I'm the pastor of Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. He said, wait a minute. What did you say? So I'm the pastor of Liberty Baptist Church. Could you bring it to the church? He said, you're the pastor? Did you say you're the pastor of Liberty Baptist Church? I said, well, yeah. He said, that's it. I'll see you tomorrow. I said, okay. He came, brought it over. He said, here's the keys. Here's the title. I said, well, let me write you. He said, oh, no, no check. He said, five minutes before you called. I said, God, I'd like to give this car to a pastor. And if, it, if you'll just give me a pastor to give it to, and then you called me up, and then you told me you were the pastor. He said, I, I, I said, no, I could tell you more. Let me tell you another story. I was preaching one Sunday morning, and I was just, a, a guy had driven into my, into my um, church, into our church parking lot, a kid that I had helped out, uh, uh, who was uh, a missionary. <laughs> he drove in, somebody had given him a Mazda Miata. 
and I and I and I, I and he had fixed it up. It was an older one, but he had fixed it up, and he he just wanted me to see it. So he, I, he drove it in. He drove in from Flagstaff, Arizona. I got it and I drove it around. I was having fun with his nice little red shiny Mazda Miata. The next day, I was talking about the fact that I'm soon going to be a grandfather. So this is many years ago. I said, I'm, uh, back it was about 2001. I, I said. Uh, I said, I'm, I'm going to be a grandfather. I said, my, the, here's the way, I was talking about the way, the difference between men think and women think. I said, my wife says, when we have grandchildren, we're going to have a huge van, and the kids are going to be able to ride everywhere with us. I said, that's not my plan. My plan is to have a sports car. When the kids are out, they're out. And it's just going to be me and her, and we're going to snuggle up. I'm probably going to get me a Mazda Miata. I just said that, you know, just clowning around, having fun. The next day, a guy calls up my office. And my son is my associate pastor. He said, I want to ask you a question. Is it a sin for a pastor to drive a sports car? And uh, my, my son said, well, no. He said, well, then I'm buying your dad a Mazda Miata. And my son said, no, my dad doesn't want a Mazda Miata. I'm telling you, he doesn't want a Mazda Miata. He was just kidding. It was a joke. He said, he said well, what kind of car does he like? I saw him walk, looking at Mustangs out in the parking lot. He said, my, my dad loves Mustangs. He said, well, I'm going to get him a Mustang. He said, what color would he like? He said, red. He said, would he like a hard top or a convertible? He said, he'd like a convertible. He said, would he like an automatic or a five-speed? He said, my dad would like a five-speed. And uh, he, said, uh, he said, well, don't tell him, but I'm buying one. And two weeks later, I, I, I walk into a, a showroom, and, uh, and Matt said, I got, we got an appointment. I said, I can't make that appointment. I got stuff to do. He said, no, you'll want this appointment, Dad. And we walked into a showroom, and I was handed the keys to a brand new 2002 Ford Mustang. You say, wow, that's a lot. And I'll tell you this, it was, it was like 15 years later, I got a phone call from a man. He said to me, he said, I'm telling you this story just to let you know how magnificent our God is and that God keeps his promises. Look, uh, a guy calls me up and he says to me, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm skipping a lot of other cars that people just gave to me. I've never asked anybody for any of them. A guy, a guy walked in, he said, he said, I'm over at the Infinity Dealer Preacher. And he said, I'm, I'm at the Infinity dealer and I got a rack problem. Well, he drove an Infinity and I thought his, there, there's car rack and he was leaving it there and he wanted me to give him a ride home. I said, Dan, I'll come right over and pick you up. I went over and pick him up. He said, I have a rack problem. He said, it's, uh, it, I'm supposed to do a random act of kindness. And he said, I've been trying to think of what to do. And so I'd like to do something for you. And he said, I thought, you probably need a new car. And he said, I just picked out one of these Infinities. He said, what do you think about that one? He bought me, I sat down and wrote a check out for $58,000 for a brand new Infinity Q60 hardtop convertible. I mean, when you push the button, the roof went off. It went and went down into the and went into the trunk. It was an amazing little car. I looked pretty good in it, and uh, and uh, uh, it was. I'm telling you, somebody gave that to me. A couple of years later, I was uh, there was a one of our staff members had their car was was was. Um, uh, blew up an engine, had 300,000 miles on it. So we were able to, my wife and I were able to take that car down and trade it in and get two Buicks and give one car away. And because, uh, you know, the Bible still says, whatsoever man sows that shall he also reap. And so we're still giving away cars. So we, we, got, we got two cars for that one car and we're able to give that one car to, a, to another staff member. And, uh, and God provided. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm staying in a motorhome down at Desert Rose RV. 
How did you get the desert? How did you get the RV? Guy walked into into our missions conference one day and said, Pastor, we want to give something to your wife. We would give it to you, but we're not going to give it to you because you would sell it and give it to missions. We want you to keep this and we want you to use this. And he said, Here is our RV. We bought this with you in mind, and so we want you to have this RV. And they gave it to us. We're moving back to South Carolina. Our kids are grown, but you and your wife can use this. He gave me a a 2004 uh, Ford Majestic RV, and we drive it all over the country to to reach people with the gospel and to, or to preach family life conferences. And uh, he, oh, by the way, when he gave me it, he said he said it's going to need new tires and it's going to need all new rubbers, and I don't want you to have to fix all that. So here's a check for $2,500. You take care of all that, and we've uh, been using it for the glory of God. Now you say, why are you telling this story? I'm telling you this because you have a magnificent God who answers prayer and wants you by faith to trust him to give to missions. I learned as a teenage kid how to, that, that you just give what God tells you to give and God will take care of your needs. I give because I'm greedy. I give because I want the blessings of God. I give because I believe God. I give because I believe there's a real hell and people are going to go to that real hell. The Bible says they'll be cast into the lake of fire where they'll be weeping and gnashing their teeth and that's a horrible thing. I give because I owe it. I owe it. Paul said, I am a, I am a debtor. Can I tell you this? Back in the early 1950s, there was a guy that you'll never hear about until you get to heaven. His name was Henry Ripple. He was with a group called the, the Independent Fundamental Churches of America, IFCA. God put it on his heart to come to Las Vegas, Nevada, to start a church. He had no, nobody to help him. He built the church with his own hands. He was a carpenter. He was a strange-looking guy. He had a, a glass eye. And he and his wife would go and travel across town and pick up poor kids that nobody else cared about. And they would drive them across town. And they picked up one kid. He was just a little kid. And his dad had died when he was 10 years old. And they'd bring him every week to church. And they'd tell them about Christ. And he, and he built a church. And it never, the church ran about 100 people. And he faithfully told people about Christ. When my dad died, he, he would take us and cher- cherish us and care, care for us. And I want you to know, I have a debt to owe. I have a debt to pay to him. He came and gave his life. And, 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 and he, he, he did that as a missionary to Las Vegas, Nevada. I owe it to send other people to other places. I want to do what God wants me to do. I want to reach lost people. I want to see people saved. I give to Faith Promise Missions every week. Every, 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 every time there's an opportunity to give to missions, we get involved. Because I believe God answers prayer. I'm greedy. I believe there's a real heaven. I believe there's a real hell. And I believe I owe a debt. And that's why we give to Faith Promise Missions. I encourage you. I'm telling you, you will not regret it. God has blessed us. This poor kid growing up in North Las Vegas, I'm telling you, this poor kid, God has, uh, God has blessed us so much because we gave. And God will bless you if you give as well. Let's pray. Father, I've just shared my testimony today. I thank you so much for the privilege of being able to be part of your ministry worldwide. And Father, being able to lead people to Christ, being part of something that's eternal, something that affects people. 
Father, being able to be part of that. I thank you for the ripples who came to Las Vegas. I thank you, I thank you, Father, for the Lynns who came to Fernley. I thank you for people who have got a mission mind that are going all over the world. And I pray, Father, that you'll use this conference or this, this, this missions month to challenge us to be involved in giving so that people don't go to hell, so people can go to heaven and be involved because we owe it to you. Thank you, Jesus, for the ministry of reconciliation. Use this time of invitation, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Preaching.